You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. I'd invite you to open in your Bibles to the New Testament. First Peter chapter 2, we'll read the verses 13 through 25. Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men whether to the king as supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, Submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Our text this afternoon is the word of God as it's summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 15 of the Heidelberg Catechism. We continue in Lord's Day 15 to work through the articles of our faith, the Apostles' Creed, and we come this afternoon to the section on the suffering and crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. What do you confess when you say that he suffered? During all the time he lived on earth, but especially at the end, Christ bore in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. Thus, by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, He has redeemed our body and soul from everlasting damnation and obtained for us the grace of God, righteousness, and eternal life. Why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? Though innocent, Christ was condemned by an earthly judge, and so he freed us from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on us. Does it have special meaning that Christ was crucified? And did not die in a different way. Yes. Thereby I am assured that he took upon himself the curse which lay on me. For a crucified one was cursed by God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I wonder if it has ever struck you. As you've read through or sung. As we often do the Apostles Creed. Just how historical. It is. The Apostles' Creed in this section 
about the Lord Jesus Christ is very historical. It just lays out the facts of what has happened in the life of Jesus Christ. He was conceived, he suffered, he was crucified, dead and buried, he descended into hell, he rose, he ascended into heaven. As that creed narrows down what God has revealed, the work of Jesus Christ, you could say, to the essentials, it focuses on the historical facts of what Christ has done. And I wonder if there's ever been a moment, perhaps as, as you're going through some particular struggle or question in your own mind or in your own life, that you, you say, yeah, but what's the point? What's the point? What does that have to do with, with the here and now? All these events that happened so long ago. Especially when you're going through a time of difficulty. When you can feel that, that angst or that despair building in your, in your heart. You, you want to go to, to your faith and you want to find answers there. You want comfort. You want it to be right there for you. You want someone to sit you down and tell you straight to your face how everything is going to be okay. But here's the Apostle Creed, the Apostles' Creed sitting us down and having us recount what Jesus Christ did hundreds, thousands of years ago. Sometimes what Jesus did 2,000 years ago can seem pretty far removed from what you're going through right now, can it? So how do these historical facts connect up with what you are experiencing? Say, particularly when you suffer, as we look at the suffering of Jesus Christ this afternoon. What do the facts of Jesus' life have to do with the reality of pain and suffering that is part and sometimes a large part of what we experience from day to day? How do they connect? What does it mean for the here and now? Why does the Apostles' Creed have us simply recite these events in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, it does connect. And in fact, the connection is found right there in the words of the creed itself. The connection is found at the first words of every section. The words, I believe. I believe. In Lord's Day 12, you may remember, we said that we are members of Christ by faith. We are members of Christ by faith. So when we say, I believe, that's saying something about our relationship with Jesus Christ. By faith, I am united with Jesus Christ. And so those historical events describing, as we look at this afternoon, the suffering and the judgment and the curse of Jesus Christ are not just historical trivia. It's not, 
we're not simply recalling that those things actually happened, although of course we are saying that, but we're saying more than that. We're saying that Jesus experienced this, but that also he experienced it for us. For us. Faith confesses that while I in every way deserve myself to pay the penalty for my sins, that Jesus Christ, when he suffered and when he was judged and when he was cursed, bore the penalty of my sins for me. And so what the Apostles' Creed says when it recounts those historical facts has everything to do with how we experience suffering today. And so this afternoon, we consider that Jesus Christ has paid our penalty because we are united to him by faith. United to Christ by faith, he has paid our penalty. We'll see that he suffered for us, that he was judged for us, and that he was cursed for us. So when we're united to Christ by faith, when we state meaningfully from the heart, I believe that Jesus Christ suffered and was judged and was cursed. That we're stating that we believe that he went through that for us. He suffered for us. First of all, how much did Jesus suffer? Well, he suffered comprehensively a lot. From the beginning of of his life till its end. In body and in soul. More and more as his life drew closer to the end. And with all of his suffering that he endured on this earth, he endured it innocently. Though he was innocent, he endured suffering. And behind that suffering was not just the meanness of people around him wanting to kill him, wanting to get rid of him, wanting to silence him, abandoning him in fear. But behind that suffering was the judgment, the wrath of God. Jesus was innocent of that wrath the entire time. It's also clear that Jesus did not just suffer. He's not just someone who has experienced a tremendous amount of suffering on this earth, but he suffered For us. For us. That was prophesied by the prophets in the Old Testament. You can think most famously of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. Surely, as Isaiah is speaking about the servant to come, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Verse 5. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our Iniquities. Peter quotes the next verse of this in 1 Peter 2 in our reading, in telling us clearly that Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree. And then he quotes Isaiah 53 By his wounds we are healed. He suffered for us. The wounds that Jesus suffered during his entire life, from the humiliation of his birth to his awful treatment at the hands of the Roman soldiers and the Jewish Sanhedrin, right up until the time that he was hung up on a cross of crucifixion, he bore that suffering for us. 
during his whole life, you understand, Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God. Right at the beginning of his ministry, John, John the Baptist sees him. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God has come to take away the sin of the world. From the very beginning, he was the Lamb of God right up until the end. It was not just, it was not as though when he was crucified, he suddenly became the Lamb of God. No, he was the Lamb the whole time. His whole life was pointed toward his ultimate sacrifice of giving up his life for us. But why? Because he was going to the cross for us. Because he came with a purpose to suffer and to die for the sins of God's people because only in that way could God's holy wrath be satisfied. That's the whole purpose for which Christ came to earth. Because only Through his suffering, could God's holy wrath be satisfied and could his people be again received into favor with God? And so the event on the cross, when Christ ultimately pays that penalty, it casts its long shadow over his entire life. You cannot separate his life from his death. He lived to die. He came to be crucified. He suffered vicariously. He suffered as an atoning sacrifice for us his entire life. So the Lord Jesus did not merely suffer, though his suffering was great. It was not mere suffering. It was not just suffering. When you entrust yourself to him in faith, then you are filled with the assurance and the confidence that he suffered all of this for you. That suffering that he bore is the suffering that you ought to have borne. So what's the result of this? Some would say that if Christ has suffered for us, then our suffering must be lifted, right? If we say meaningfully, if we, if we really believe that Christ has borne our suffering during his time on earth, then it must be true that we will not experience any more suffering. If Christ has defeated on the cross and and in the path to the cross sin and sickness, then we won't have to experience sin and sickness anymore. Why else would Christ have had to suffer all these things? This, you may recognize, is the juicy heresy of the health and wealth gospel, which is really no gospel at all. It's a false gospel, which says that unequivocally, God's will for you is that you should have health and prosperity here and now. They point to the suffering of Christ. He suffered for you. So he's borne that burden. And so sin and sickness... Sorrow and shame. All these things are lifted. You should not experience it anymore. But what does God's word say? Well, first we need to affirm what God's word does says. It does says that we are forgiven our sins. And that, and that we can see past our sickness. 
And that we're given eternal life that not even death can take away. Yes, we have promises of, of health and prosperity, but, but they extend beyond this life. We don't get them in the here and now. We get them for eternity. The promises are so much bigger than what the health and the wealth gospel promises us. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for the promises of the gospel. But God's word also calls us to expect suffering in the here and now. It's not true that since Christ suffered, we will not have to suffer any longer. In his first epistle, Peter called the believers to expect suffering. They were experiencing a lot of it. It was leaving them shaken. And then Peter says, this isn't surprising. In verse 20 of Chapter 2, which we read together, he says, But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. He doesn't say, what's going on? Why are you suffering? This is all wrong. No, he says, if you suffer for doing good, that's commendable. To this, in fact, you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. That you should follow in his steps. What's the path that Peter is laying out here? It's the path of suffering. He's walked this path for you that you should follow in his steps. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Our Lord Jesus has suffered for us. Not so that we could experience no suffering in our lives, but so that our suffering could be transformed. When the believer, united by faith in Jesus Christ, living in the love and affection of the Holy Father, suffers, then she walks in the steps of her Lord Jesus Christ. She doesn't suffer as punishment for her sins. She suffers because she has communion with Christ. Because the devil hates Christ. And because the world wants to destroy him. And because God has been pleased to use suffering to sanctify and purify his children. And so as she suffers pain and sickness, sorrow, grief, loss, hardship, poverty, persecution... And injustice, as the believer walks that path, she walks ever closer to Christ. She's drawn ever closer into communion with Christ. Even as she hurts under this suffering, she is healed by the wounds that Jesus Christ himself has borne. Even as she walks through this valley, her heart is drawn upward to the shepherd and the overseer of her soul. By faith, we are united with Christ in his suffering so that he suffers God's wrath for us. That's true. That's taken away. And then our suffering, which comes and which will come and which we can expect, is transformed, transformed into something that you can actually say is beautiful as through suffering We are drawn closer to Christ. So Christ was 
Christ suffered for us. He was also judged for us. Toward the end of his suffering, he was brought into the court of Pontius Pilate and sentenced to death, effectively sentenced to death, as Pilate handed him over to the Jews to be crucified. Now, Pilate, Pontius Pilate, as you may know, was the Roman governor of the province of Judea. That means that he was the preeminent, the highest representative of the emperor in Rome, of, of the state government that at that time controlled the province of Judea, of Jerusalem, where Jesus was. In 1 Peter 2, Peter writes this, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king or emperor as the supreme authority or to governors such as Pontius Pilate, you might say, who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. And so Peter recognizes, Peter, this apostle of Jesus Christ, who has seen what happened at the hands of Pontius Pilate as the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, though he was innocent. Peter writes this to the church. And he says, this is an authority given from God. You need to obey it. You need to recognize that it comes from God. And he he is very much uh, echoing what Paul writes in Romans chapter 13, that the authorities that exist have been established by God. And he goes on to say that the governing authority is a servant. And literally the word there is a minister. The governing official, the government, is a minister of God. He's a servant of God sent by God to do his will. So why are we going through this little short course on a biblical view of the state and on government and of authority? For this reason. Because when Pontius Pilate ultimately handed Jesus Christ over to the Jews to be crucified, crucifixion, of course, was a Roman punishment. So this was Pontius Pilate's punishment and declaration of Jesus Christ. Thereby declaring Jesus to be guilty, Pontius Pilate was doing so in his office as God's servant. When he condemned Jesus to death, he did so as a representative of God. Through the mouth of Pontius Pilate, God condemned his own son to death. Why? For us. For us. And that is very clear from the narrative that surrounds that declaration by Pontius Pilate. The narrative surrounding Pilate's decision is full of declarations of Jesus' innocence. Pontius Pilate realizes it. His wife realizes it. It's so clear as you read it that Jesus is innocent. By the time you get through John's descriptions of the event in in the the gospel according to John, you know that Jesus is innocent. So what is happening here? Why is Jesus going to the cross? Well, it's because of what Jesus had said at other points of the gospel according to John. You can think of John 10. The good shepherd lays down his life. For whom? For his sheep. The Passover lamb gives his body and blood to cover over the sins of the people. The lamb of God has come 
to take away the sins of the world. That guilty verdict is given to Jesus, innocent as he is, because he is standing in for all of the guilty sinners who ever have and ever will align themselves with his sacrifice. He is standing in for his people. He is saying, it's my life for theirs. Pontius Pilate is declaring him guilty for our sin. And so the immediate result for us is that when we are united with Christ by faith, we can know that 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 judgment has been declared and it's not been declared on us. It's been declared on him. He's been declared guilty for us. And so you can hear, as Paul says in that ringing cry of Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because he's already been condemned to death for us. No condemnation. Because the judgment which would stand against us because of our sins was spoken by God's representative over Jesus Christ. In Christ Jesus then, there is no judgment for us. For all those who are united to Jesus Christ by faith, there is no judgment You may feel like there should be a judgment. But there's no judgment. You may not understand why there's no judgment. But there's no judgment. You may fear that down the road there might be a judgment. But there is no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is what the gospel declares. No judgment for the regrettable sins of the past. No judgment for the why did I do that of the present. And no judgment for the sin that we will commit in the future. Because he was judged for us. And we are united with him by faith if we believe in him. So he was judged for us. Finally, he was cursed for us. In 1 Peter 2 verse 24, Peter writes... Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. The tree that Peter is talking about there is, of course, the tree of the cross. The tree of the cross, that that crude and torturous death sentence for which the Romans were infamous. Crucifixion, as we already stated, was an exclusively Roman death sentence. It was the worst death sentence that you could receive. The Roman Empire was very strategic in how they carried out crucifixion. They used it as an example. It was such a, a horrible and a torturous way to die that it was effective, very effective in stopping people from committing the crimes that people were being tortured, uh, being crucified for. They used it strategically especially for wiping out revolution. You see, revolutionaries, when they go to battle, they're not afraid of dying. Perhaps you've read the book or you've seen the movie or watched the play of Les Mis, of those those revolutionaries in Paris. When they go to, to fight against the powers, the government, 
They're not afraid of dying, and every last one of them does die. They're not afraid of dying, partly because of who they are as revolutionaries. For the revolutionary, death is simply a way to inspire courage in others. But when the death sentence that was carried out was carried out by crucifixion, it was no inspiration to others, historically speaking. No one, there were no martyrs that rejoiced in the cross. The Romans used the cross to put a final end to things. You can think of the Third Servile War where they lined up 6,000 revolutionaries along the Via Appia, the, the way into Rome. They crucified them. And there were no more slave revolts in Rome after that. That was for the Romans. For the Jews, crucifixion was not only painful and cruel, but it was much worse. Crucifixion represented the worst possible way to die. In Deuteronomy 21, verse 23, God gave the instruction not to leave someone's body hanging on a tree because the body of someone hanging on a tree was cursed by God. It it was a sign for the people of Israel that, that to be hung in a tree was a sign of utter abandonment. That there was no place on this earth. The the ground was very important to the Israelites. God gave them the promised land. If you were hung up in a tree, it showed that you had no land, no promise. There was nothing for you in this world. It's a sign of utter abandonment. Communicating that there was no place on earth for this vile and wretched criminal. And Jesus hung on a cross for us. He was hung on the cross and cursed by God for us. Because, as Paul says in Galatians 3, because we are unable to keep the commandments of God. And God's word is clear that if you do not obey everything that's written in the commandments, you are cursed. You will be cursed by God. And this isn't some kind of voodoo curse, but it's the curse of of God's judgment, eternal condemnation upon you. Jesus Christ was cursed on the cross by God for us. And so, brothers and sisters, when the Apostles' Creed lists these articles of Christ's work in which we are to place our trust, see that Christ has accomplished this for you. When God's word records these events of Jesus' life, believe that he is doing it for you. That's why these things have been written, so that you would believe that he has accomplished this for you. As you read through the Gospels, there are two words that should be like a little addendum. Onto the suffering of, uh, the pain of suffering and rejection and judgment and curse that Christ bears. And those are the words for me. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. For me. Then they seized him and led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. For us. In the Sanhedrin they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you? And he did it for me. 
the men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him for you. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He hung on the tree for us. Now, it may be that for you, those words do not end with a period. But it may be that for you, those words end with a question mark. For me? Did he suffer that for me? Was he beaten for my sake? Was he judged for my sin? If that is the case, then consider what he did. And consider that for Jesus Christ, in accomplishing these things through his suffering and judgment and curse, there was no question mark for him. He knew what he was doing. And he knew for whom he was doing it. There was no doubt about his intention, his purpose. He did it in love. He did it in obedience. And he did it for you. If that question mark lingers in your heart, then it is our prayer that through looking at what Christ has done as revealed in God's word, you too will receive every confidence and conviction to say, along with the church of all times and places, I believe in Jesus Christ, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried for me. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.